You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Um, welcome again. Um, you probably notice if you follow us normally that this isn't where we normally are during the uh, message, but um, it's a bit of a crazy week, this one. Um, lots going on, lots of good, good craziness. Um, but because of that, I'm actually here where all, where all the magic happens, <laughs> where all the editing and, and all the production happens. And so I'm actually here in Samal's office and I'm going to deliver our message today. Um, so different location, but occasionally when we're running a bit short on time, both running the in-person services and then trying to reach those of you that are connecting us, connecting with us online, um, sometimes shoot in here in the in the studio. <laughs> but either way, it's great that we have the technology to do this. It's great to connect with you. And um, yeah, we're just really, really enjoying this series we're in. We've been in, probably this is the fourth week, we've been exploring that the letter to the church in Rome, uh, Romans 12, 2, that talks about the things we see, the things we do, the things we live by, the things we consume, the patterns we live in, the habits, they actually transform us, actually change us. Um, and the difference that we have as Christians or followers of Jesus, or even those trying to explore that, is we have the choice to step out of those patterns and follow a new way, follow Jesus um, and be renewed and be and and be learn how to discern His will and walk in His ways, and so we've had a um, we've been exploring this choice and how to intentionally make this choice every day towards Jesus, and so we've been looking at what it looks like. And one of the other key verses that came out of it was John fifteen, which uh, explores this word abide, which essentially um, has a couple of different meanings, but it looks like leaning in. God's already there, but leaning into him, leaning into his ways, abiding in him. And um, we want to do this Sunday, but we want to do this Monday to Friday. And so we've been exploring what it looks like to abide spiritually, mentally, even physically in him and be transformed. And so we're going to actually explore. Mez kicked us off phenomenally last week with this talk around mental health, transforming our mental health. And so this morning, or whenever you're watching this, this afternoon, we want to explore mental health part two. Um, (sighs) Discussing mental health, though, churches do avoid it. Um, And I know why. Because it's tricky and um, it's complex and it's messy and it's not always exactly the same for everyone. And it's hard. But we want to be a church that isn't afraid of the hard because we believe God, we believe working in the ways of walking in the ways of Jesus. We believe we can tackle these things. We believe the Bible isn't just good for Sunday. We believe the word of God, his Holy Spirit works in us in the mess and the hard. And so while we're not solving mental health (laughs) as a concept in a two, in a four part, five part sermon series, what we are doing is we're being a church that dares to have the conversation and wants to talk about it. And look at what God's word has to say about it. And so that's what we're going to continue to explore with Mez kicking us off last week, looking at who God is, uh, referencing that um, most psychological practices talk about when dealing with anxiety and depression, you need a sense of hope. As Christians, we have absolute hope in who God is, that he cares, that he's willing and that he's able. And so she kicked us off last week. And then this week, I want to talk about this idea of who we are. 
uh, being that there's a really strong connection in a lot of the research around anxiety and depression with who we believe we are and our self, who we see ourselves in, our identity. There's a really strong connection. And of course, what does the Bible say about it? What does the Bible actually speak to it? Who do we think we are? Again, my disclaimer, there's heaps of things that tie into mental health. Um, it can be chemical. It can be trauma. It can be upbringing. It can be unknown factors. We're not saying it's all to do with how you perceive God and how you perceive yourself. What we're suggesting is that is part of it. And we want to speak to that today. Who do you think you are is the topic today. And basically want to explore three things around ourself, our ego, who we, our identity, who we think we are. And um, I want to use, and I'm not the first or the last person to use this prop when talking about ourselves, but I want to talk about ourselves using a balloon. Um, hopefully it'll make sense in a second. So three points when we're looking at who we are in relation to our mental health. So first of all, I want to talk about a small balloon, a balloon that's not blown up, <laughs> or maybe just, very, just got a little bit of air in it. And I want this to represent what we'd call low self-esteem. This balloon has nothing in it. It thinks low of itself, low self-esteem, it's low. Um, this is somewhat the easiest connection when we think of ourselves as nothing, as we think of ourselves as not important, as we think of ourselves lowly, uh, this is the most easiest connection when making it towards mental health. Um, let me explain. It might be a single event, a comment that someone said, a parents that were way too strict. People we have respected throughout the years have spoken something to us or still speak to us. And maybe that still, maybe it was hurtful. Maybe it was damaging. And maybe we're defined by that. It's this correlation of thinking of ourselves low from these comments. It's naturally, we're naturally going to feel depressed, anxious, or low. It's a pretty obvious connection to make. I can still, and these, these comments can stick with us. I still remember Megan, year four, calling me saying, well, not calling me, calling me over in the playground and saying, hey, you look like E.T., I still remember it. I don't think I look like ET, but sometimes there's a little Megan in year four in the back of my head looking in the mirror going, do I look like ET? It sticks with you. He's got, that's a funny one. Here's a serious one. When I was in late high school, I went to a uh, youth or I think it was a school camp, can't remember which, and my body acne was so bad that I woke up and I had blood spots on the bedding and I... I remember thinking, and I remember it sticking with me, this image of who I was, and I actually didn't take my shirt off at the beach in a pool in front of anyone for three years because I was so... And actually, in my early 20s, it actually caused me a great deal of, uh, I guess, depression. Um, I felt quite down. I felt that I was nobody. Uh, as a teenager, you're already awkward looking, and on top of that, I had some things going on. And so my identity meant that my low self-esteem meant I felt actually really down, longing to be accepted, longing to be attractive. Um, yeah, that was my early, late teens um, life, my mind space. 
And I don't know, what's it for you? What has someone said to you that has sticked with you? <laughs> what's someone that someone's put you down? And how, what does your self-esteem, your ego look like? The words, the event that shaped you. Do you see yourself through an abusive partner, an ex, or a current? Do you define yourself by a messy breakup? Harsh words, parents. And of course, because we're looking at the Bible and the Word of God, what does God have to say about it? Well, let me read to you what some of the things God says about you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The Bible talking about a fresh start. The Bible actually saying, hey, you're not defined by those mistakes you've made. You're defined by Christ. You can start again, no matter what your weekend's been like, no matter what your drive this morning has been like, no matter what your conversations 10 minutes has been like, in Christ you can start again as a new creation. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, it says, All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. How's that? He's brought us back into purpose. He's redeemed us. He's freed us. And then we get to do the ministry of that. We get to tell others about that. We have a purpose. Most people feel like they don't have a purpose, a meaning in life. We are given a purpose through Christ. Galatians 3.26, for in Christ Jesus, you are sons of God through faith. Again, adoption. No matter what your parents have been, great or bad, you're not defined by either of them. You're defined by the creator of the universe. You're defined as a son or daughter of him. 2 Corinthians 5.12 says, for our sake, he has made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become righteousness of God. Righteousness is one of these religious words we love to say, righteousness. And it brings images for me of like some prim and proper, um, I don't know, uh, presenting well person that um, has it all together and doesn't swear. And, and I don't know, just, I don't know, doesn't have a beard. I don't know what it looks like, but it's righteousness. It actually just means rightness or right with God. What I'm trying to say is righteousness with God through Christ means that God isn't angry, that you're moving in the same direction as God wants this, his creation to move in. That yes, bad things happen because the world is broken, but he's not up there going, sucked in, gotcha, or that's for that time you lied. He's not out to get you. You are right with him. You have rightness with him. No matter how well your beard is trimmed or the tie you wear, you are right with him through Christ. Luke 12, 7. There's so many verses, but this is the last one. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Uh, Jesus was speaking about how he looks after the animals. The sparrows get to eat. He provides food for them. He knows you so much more. He knows you. You are loved. You are not defined by that experience, by Megan in year four calling you ET, by that abusive partner. Yourself is defined in Christ. If you wish that, if you follow that, if you wish to follow Jesus, the word of God is clear. You have a choice every single day. And we're going to get to the practical more, but you have a choice every single day. Do you follow the world's picture of you? 
or do you define yourself every morning, remind yourself every day of how Christ, how, how the creator of the universe defines you? That's the choice you get to make. That's the freedom you have. Let me keep going though. Let me keep going because I want to talk about something else. <laughs> the other side of this. <sighs> I want to talk about the big balloon, the big ego. <laughs> Sometimes life can do the opposite of a deflated balloon. It can puff us up. <laughs> maybe you were mummy and daddy's precious little princess. <laughs> oh, prince, maybe you were very special. Maybe you have had so much success in your life and you've done pretty well. You're pretty clever. Um, I don't know. Maybe you eat at Grace great places. You attend the right things. You know people. <laughs> um, I remember going to Woolworths and I've told this story too many times, but I remember going to Woolworths and um, Donna was her name on a name badge. And um, I'm going through this about 12 years ago and I'm getting shopping and this cashier, Donna says to me, is your name Steve? I said, yeah. She goes, my older sister has your band CD in her room and I've seen you on the cover. I'll tell you what, that filled my balloon up probably till now. I'm still riding high on down Donna, the cashier recognising me and my band. I was pretty puffed up for about a good 11 years after that. <laughs> um, the world loves this one. Every kid now gets a um, ribbon, whether they lose or not just for being awesome. Um, every person gets told that they're going to do amazing things. Um, every commercial for university, school, whatever, you, you can change the world. Um, you're each like a snowflake. You're created individually in your own unique way. We've heard this before. This is the world sermon. Actually, it's not just the world sermon. The church loves this. If you grew up in the 90s and maybe a bit later, um, you'd get told at every youth rally, every conference, that God wants to make you a planet shaker, <laughs> a movement builder, a kingdom advancer. If you accept Jesus, that'd say, put your hand up today, you will change the world, was the message we got. Girls, you're a princess of the high king, you'd be told. And this isn't even a generational thing. You go back long enough and it was every project needed a plaque. So many of our old churches have a thousand plaques because, of course, if you do something, don't hide it. Put it on a plaque and nail it to God's building. We love recognition. And some of that's not bad. Some of that's accurate. But we live in a world that loves the big fluffy ego, the big blown up ego, both in church all generations and outside of church. Fair question to ask if you're thinking this. Now you might go, Steve, isn't that stuff good? <laughs> How would that lead to poor mental health? Feeling good, feeling awesome. Well, research suggests this is the reason that anxiety and depression is increasing 
on some level in our society. Let me give you a couple of examples. So your church tells you that you are going to shake the planet with your voice. And then you go on and live a very normal life (laughs) with its ups and downs. You have some tragedy in it. You have some wins. You struggle sometimes. What a disappointment in a sense. You look on Instagram and your friends have a better perceived life. They seem to have got what you were promised. You're just a person working nine to five, just paying their bills in a stressful marriage with naughty kids. No wonder anxiety and depression creep in because you didn't get what was promised to you. Here's the irony. (laughs) Someone single without a job is looking at your Instagram with a beautiful family, yes, sometimes naughty and sometimes stressful, and saying, I haven't been given what I was promised because we only show the highlight reel on our Instagram and Facebook. We don't show real life. It's a commercial for the best of us. No wonder a big ego is actually full of hot air and it's absolutely destroyed by the regular, amazing, but a regular life we're actually called to live. Not all meant to get our 10 minutes of fame. Not all meant to be celebrities. Not all meant to be individually. And we're going to get to this planet shakers, (laughs) world breakers. Not meant to be individually. Second example of why this is just as dangerous as low self-esteem, as a low ego. And I'll give this example. On the school holidays, I took my two girls, um, no, I was a bit young, so I took my five and six-year-old to time zone. And um, we got some tickets and that was a ball. We wanted to, but then I made the mistake. We went into the shop where you get your tickets and you buy something. And we only had enough for this lower level. It was the first time playing and we hadn't collected much tickets. We mostly played. Didn't matter. But we could get anything off this kind of shelf. And I made the mistake of saying to my girls, get anything, get, choose one thing each. It was like pencils and bouncy balls and slinkies and things like that. About half an hour later, I decided to intervene because <laughs> they couldn't choose. They were paralyzed by the choices of slinky colors, of bouncy balls, of rubbers and pencils. They could not choose. I had to intervene and go, right, you got a pink slinky, you got a bouncy ball. (laughs) What a great picture of what's going on in our society at the moment. (laughs) Imagine right now, just put yourselves in a uni student's point of view at the moment. You've watched the Netflix specials, you've watched all these shows, you've had these movies, and the movies will tell you and TV will tell you that um, if you work hard enough, you'll end up in a, as an architect in a firm in New York City that overlooks the city with heaps of money, heaps of friends and a hipster lifestyle. Absolute freedom. And you'll find love on New Year's Eve or Valentine's Day or Christmas. I don't know, one of those three. So imagine you believe the commercials telling you the world is your oyster. Imagine all the choices you legit have. People are making money off the strangest things these days. So you do have wide amount of choices. 
You get into uni, you've been told you're awesome. You've been given fourth place ribbons for everything. You can't lose, you're not allowed to lose. You're not allowed to fail. You're awesome. You have unlimited choices. You've been sold a dream. Imagine the anxiety of failing, yes, but of the choice. And you might be saying, well, that's a good idea, Stephen, but is it true? I was a uni chaplain at our big uni, 30,000 people, Griffith Uni, for three and a half years. And my office was full of students who had failed a subject. One subject. Or at finished a degree and realised that's, that's not what they wanted to do <laughs> and their life was seemingly destroyed. It wasn't. It was normal. It was okay. They were normal people. But they'd been so riddled with anxiety of being someone, of the promise made, of the absolute choice at time zone, that anxiety and depression had crept in. And here's the real killer. The ones that get the success, the ones that get what they dreamed of, none of them are that happy anyway. Because the product is only being sold to them. It's never as good. It doesn't give the same purpose, as I would say, as Jesus. Again, what does the word say about this? What does the word say about this? <laughs> so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father has taught me. Jesus speaking about his, even his connection within the Trinity to the Father. Speaking that's his power working through. That everything they do is connected. It's not alone. There's not an alone solo project. Us as Christians, our authority, our power, our purpose comes from the Father. Proverbs 16.8 says, Pride goes before destruction <laughs> and haughty spirit before a fall. Hebrews 10, 24, 25, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Talking about a collective. You know, when the Bible speaks about the spirit, when it speaks about the power, when it speaks about shaking the planet, it talks about the collective, not the individual. Yes, we're meant to encourage each other together. The Bible's not looking for heroes. It's looking for a royal priesthood a nation, a kingdom, a community, a church. And that is world-changing, but we'll get to that in a moment. Romans 3, 9. What then, are Jews better off? No, not at all, for we have already cha uh, charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it's written, none is righteous, no, not one. <laughs> no one understands, no one seeks for God. All turned in aside together, they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Romans addressing a fight between these two people, saying they're better than us, we're better than them. They don't deserve this. He's saying you're all collectively capable of being pretty rotten. Your sin is gross. I mean, Isaiah 64, 6 says that um, if we do even good things, but in the wrong motive, under pride, under trying to ego, it says 
our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Or better, better um, translated, a used sanitary pad or product. It says if we do things under a wrong motivation, Isaiah 64.6 tells us that our deeds are worthless and dirty. Versus speaking that it's not about us as individuals. It's about a community. That yes, we're adopted in Christ, but we, it's not about doing it ourselves. It's not about doing it our own strength. It's not about doing it apart from him. It's not about the ego. Bible putting us in our place. Our human nature, which we can clearly see in our world right now. Once it all fades away, it's greedy. It's self-righteous. It's dirty, it's gross, the human heart without Christ and his reconciliation. So two questions and then we'll get to my third point. But does the Bible contradict then, Steve? You might be asking. Does the Bible contradict? You just mentioned all this good stuff that we are and then you just mentioned all this stuff to put us in our place. Does it contradict? And then what is the perfect way to see ourselves? Two very good questions. Firstly, no, it doesn't. It doesn't contradict. I'll explain why. Secondly, let me give you a quote from Tim Keller about C.S. Lewis. So that sounds confusing. It's a quote from Tim Keller commenting on C.S. Lewis's words about this exact thing. Is it about, the question, is it about doing this? And going, oh, I'm both big, small. Is it about finding the perfect mixture or is the gospel calling us to something else? Well, listen to this phenomenal quote. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity makes a brilliant observation about gospel humility. At the very end of his chapter on pride, if we were to meet, he says, a truly humble person, Lewis says, we would never come away from them thinking they were humble. They would not always be telling us that they were nobody. Because a person who keeps saying they are nobody is actually self-obsessed. <laughs> the thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel, humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. Because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of yourself or thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of myself less. Gospel humility is not needing to think about myself, not needing to connect things with myself. It is not an end to my thoughts, such as I'm in this room with these people. Does it make me look good? Do I want to be here? True gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I stop thinking about myself. The freedom of self-forgetfulness the blessed rest that only self-forgetfulness brings. What are they saying? To summarise, the Word of God encourages us to not play the game. <laughs> this is my third point. The idea is to not be a slave of your neighbour's car and boat and how big the house is, your Instagram friend's life, to not, be, um, to not enter a room and think, how important am I? How not important I am? how bad my life's been, how good my life's been. The Bible encourages us to be free from that. Just like 
the Israelites being free from the slavery of Egypt, being slaved by their definitions. The Bible says you don't have to live like the rest of the world. You can be free from the game of am I good enough or bad enough in Christ. Essentially, the Bible encourages us to take our small or big balloon and to get a nail. (laughs) And I don't know if you can see this here, but our encouragement is to get this thing (laughs) and nail it to the cross. essentially give it to Jesus and he'll take it with him. As you live life, it's ups, it's downs. You have both. Life is amazing, but it's full of so many things. It's about taking it to the cross each day. To not think of yourself more or less, but to just not think of yourself that much. To make it about others. Kill the balloon is my third point. (laughs) Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having a mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, encouraging the church to think about others. Funny enough, it actually matches modern psychology. They finally caught up to what Jesus has been saying for 2,000 years. If you would have watched my interview with Jeanette Phelan on our YouTube page, she actually says one of the things we can do to help ourselves stay mentally well is serve others. A lot of research coming out at the moment that what people need is to serve and help others, to do things they don't always love, to see people struggling, to help them to assist, to not make every interaction, to listen, to not make everything about us. I'm not saying don't care about yourself. I'm not saying don't look after yourself. I'm not saying don't even love yourself. It says uh, love others as you love yourself. It's okay, but just don't think about yourself that much. (laughs) Just don't do it as much. Serving the community, doing things you don't like, doing things that sometimes don't bring you joy in the moment, but bring someone else joy. The irony of it all, the big twist, is the the game changers, the planet shakers, if you will. The people that have changed my life or the people that I've seen have made honest change in our world, in in the kingdom that is God's. The people that I've seen change people's lives forever haven't been always the successful, haven't been always the quick wit, haven't always been the popular. Honestly, the people, at least I can only speak from my own experience, but the people that I've seen have changed and rocked people's lives have been the foster carers, the servants of the poor, the disability workers. Yes, professionals with kingdom-based mindsets um, have done incredible work as well. I think about the doctors and marketing experts that do our multimedia on Sunday, serving, 
I guess way above below their pay grade, <laughs> volunteering, serving a community, both on Monday to Friday and then on Sunday at church. It's the people, it's the open homers, it's the generous. It's those that breed life in others instead of turning it on themselves. Yes, they may only do it one at a time, changing one life at a time. But when they do it collectively, then they really do shake the planet. When everyone in the church, one at a time, are changing people's lives, introducing them to Jesus, being generous and loving and servant, serving them, collectively we start to change the planet. So how can we bring this into Monday morning? Practically, last thing I want to talk about, how do we do this practically? Am I saying this morning, if you're sitting there and you're struggling with your mental health, especially in this season, you're bedridden with anxiety, am I saying, and I want you to hear this, if nothing else, am I saying to you, oh, it's easy, get out of bed (laughs) and just die to it? No, I'm not. I'm not over making these massive overarching statements, pretending that this is easy, pretending this is just something we can do this weekend. What I am encouraging us as a church and those watching is exactly what we've been encouraging the church to do over the last six months as we spoke about breeding, cultivating long-term fruit. As we spoke about the last three weeks, a rule of life, putting things in place that practically allows putting habits, not a trussle, not a rustle, not a trestle, but a trellis. Finally got the word right. Building trellises for our vine to grow, to be healthy, putting in habits to help us slowly lean in and abide in the spirit, living God, not under, not above, but with God every day. So what does this practically look like if you're getting out your rule of life piece of paper now and having a look? Let me encourage you with this. Say you do have a deflated balloon. Say you do have low self-esteem. Say you're waking up some days and just things have not been going well and you're feeling unappreciated. Then put in your rule of life opportunities to hear God's promise. Are you opening the word in the morning? Have you got God's promises written down somewhere? So before you go to your Instagram, before you go to your work emails, before you get chewed out by a boss at work, are you going to God first and letting him define you who you are? Do you have something? Do you have a practice in your life that allows you to hear those promises? Do you have a small table? a group of people that you know are praying for you, that care about you, that would listen. As Mez shared last week, are you going back to this fact that God is interested, he cares and he is able and he is good? What's your rhythm? What are you doing practically to remind yourself to combat the message of this world that you need more, that you need to be better? On the flip side, You're having one of those days where Donna recognises yet the Woolies cashier (laughs) and you're feeling a bit too full of yourself or full of hot air. Do you have, how often 
Do you go for a drive in silence and solitude, turn the radio off, get out of the light pollution and look up at the night sky and see actual stars and realise how insignificant you are in this universe? <laughs> Maybe today you need a rhythm of what my wife does. She goes down to the beach and watches the waves crash and it helps her realise that she is just a small part of the universe and it puts her life into perspective. We need both these rhythms. Some days we need community to be able to say, keep going. You're doing what God's asked you to do. You're doing okay. Other days we need trusted community to say, ease up there. It's not about you. Calm down. And note I say trusted community. I, as a pastor, as a, as a leader of local church at Burley, I have people in my life that I trust. I don't give that to everyone. I don't take that from everyone. I have people that I know that are connected to the spirit and praying for me that I trust enough to be able to say, Steve, calm down. <laughs> it's not about you. <laughs> you need small tables that do both. You need rhythms that do both. Rhythms that give you perspective and rhythms that encourage. What are the ones you're writing down? What's it for you? What are you doing regularly? And then lastly, find ways to serve others. Get out of your social media bubble where everyone agrees with you. Get out of your social class where everyone agrees with you. Get out of your age demographic where everyone agrees with you. Get out of your religious circle some days where everyone agrees with you <laughs> and serve someone outside of it. I've recently, um, it's a strange one because there's multiple ways I feel like our family can serve within the church and it's phenomenal and we love it, like glimmer of light and, yeah, op shop, lots of things. But I've recently, me and my family have signed up on Saturday, Saturday mornings to Nippers. And part of the motivation for me, yes, kids healthy, starting the, the day at the beach for our mental health, realising how big this world is, starting getting outside, breathing fresh air, all of that physical activity, all of that. But one of the other motivations is I said to me, is wouldn't it be nice to go somewhere where one day of the week I'm not the pastor? We can talk to people that aren't church people. Yes, we would love to tell them about God and all that. Absolutely. But get perspective of what's going on in the real world, not the bubble I live in, probably Sunday to Friday, which I love that bubble. <laughs> But sad days, get out and talk to real people, real Aussies on the Gold Coast. They don't go and call me, hey, Pastor Steve, can you pray for me? They, I love doing that, but these guys are talking about other things, ways of connecting, getting perspective. And eventually we, we, we hope that we can serve that community as well, not making it about us. Taking up your cross daily and not killing your dreams and hopes but just not being trapped by them <laughs> and actually getting real hope, real dreams, real purpose in Jesus, finding new life, real life in him. Let me pray. Father, a lot to unpack when you're speaking about our mental health, Lord. But Father, in this season, which is so cloudy, which is just so... Um, 
high energy, with stuff going overseas, with things going here both politically, everywhere, Lord, with viruses that shut down worlds, with churches operating in smaller settings, with people getting sick and facing enormous health crisis, with some in our community, our local community, that are finding the curse of ageing is really playing on them and really getting to them. Families that are feeling the anxiety, feeling like not good enough mothers or fathers, not good enough parents. Employees not feeling good enough, not smart enough, not as talented enough as the person beside them. Uni students and high school students being ripped apart by the anxiety of not living their best life (laughs) or not having the ultimate dream that the commercials sell them. Father, help us realise who we are in you. On some days, Father, some days help us find ways to remember that you love us, that you died for us. And on other days, help us remember our place in the community, in the kingdom, in the universe. And on most days, help us remember it's not about us, that through serving others, through loving others, we actually find real life, real joy, real peace. We actually find you, more of you. Help us to forget about ourselves a little bit. Stir within us, help us find rhythms and habits and grow as a community. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.